Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. No truer words have ever been spoken, I don't believe. Welcome to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander, along with Bunker de France in Los Angeles. Todd Roberts. and Hello. In, hello there. And in, uh, in, we are streaming to you live from the beautiful White Stallion Ranch just north of Tucson. And uh, in our studio audience is uh, our friend freelance journalist David Layton. Hello, who was, David. Who, who was on the Travel Channel the other night. Uh, and our guest in studio is filmmaker Travis Mills of 12 Westerns in 12 Months. Happy to be here again, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, joining us again, man. It's uh, th- th- This time we're going to uh, attempt to explain in an hour what the hell is a Western. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that's do, I don't think you can do it in a lifetime. We, how long has the show been on? Uh Fifteen years, and we're still trying. We're still yeah, trying. so okay. I've got a couple of announcements to get out yes, of the way do. here. I'm going to drop one. Yeah, do that. So we can get right to it. But a friend of mine, good friend of mine, Van Fowers, uh, passed away a couple of weeks ago this Saturday. Last Saturday, a couple of Saturdays back anyway. Uh, and Van was a reenactor. He would do Ed Vale, who's very important to the local history right. of the Empire Ranch and whatnot. Uh, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp. A great guy, funny man, and he'd be greatly missed. The other piece of business here is, is coming up this uh, next Saturday. It's a chance to uh, gather up all the rugrats, curtain crawlers, uh, cookie crumblers, and take them down to the National Day of the Cowboy at the Historical Empire Ranch Foundation. Now, that's this coming Saturday, the 23rd. It'll run from 8 a.m. to 12 noon. Uh, bring the whole family. You can tour the ranch by horseback. There's a guarantee of your 45-minute tail ride by uh, contacting the ranch at empireranchfoundation.org. And the Empire Ranch headquarters is where it's taking place. It's at the Oceanicus National Conservation Area, just north of Sonoida, Arizona, located off of Scenic Highway 83. And it's about three miles back in, paved all the way to the front door. Uh, there'll be docent tours of the historic ranch. There'll be Western demonstrators and vendors. There'll also be a chuck wagon out there and a serving cowboy breakfast. I don't know what the charge is, but it, it's, it's worth the price. And come on down and cowboy up. Well, and also out at uh, the Mescal, they've had such great success with the sunset tours and uh, of the Mescal movie set that they're extending it all the way through till the end of August. So uh, they're happening at uh, 6.30. Uh, and seven o'clock, uh, $15 admission, kids 10 and under free. Get your uh, reservation at mescalmovieset.com or you can call, where is the magic number? Oops, I lost the magic number there. Anyway, mescalmovieset.com for, uh, sunset tours and, uh, beautiful place out there. Do check it out. And just Google for the phone number. There you go. And Todd, you had some housekeeping? I just real quick, uh, just want to say that uh, Nolan and I went to go see Top Gun, and it was fabulous. And if you just want to go to a, have that old-time movie experience of getting a bucket of popcorn and watching something that is visually stimulating and funny, uh, it's a, you know, no, it's, it's not uh, a masterpiece. It's just a fun movie, and uh, you can take the kids, and it's a blast. Uh, now, is that in Top Gun? Is that about a gunfighter? Yeah, yeah, right. No, it's uh, about uh, uh, it's a sequel to the Tom Cruise movie from uh, twenty five years ago. Uh, was was that Tom... one a gunfighter? No, he wasn't a gunfighter, Bunker. Well, he's a gunfighter with a plane. <laughs> oh, he's yeah. a gunfighter on a plane. There's yeah. plenty of shooting, and uh, it's a very patriotic film. I have to say that. Uh, my hat is off to Hollywood for making a film that is patriotic and makes you proud to be an American. Well, that's the Navy for you. <laughs> yeah, that's the Navy. We that's right. We won't even get into that. As Thel Reed, the great Thel Reed, who's a friend of the show and a former Marine, used to say, Jesus, buddy, uh, I, I don't think I could ever been on one of them ships for that long. I said, well, why not? He goes, because, you know, their head goes soft. I said, why is that? He goes, because they're always swabbing them decks. Your head gets as soft as that mop. 
<laughs> I said, okay, thank you, Thel. Thank you. Yeah, and there we go. That's a swabby story. It must be. Uh, there's plenty of Army stories that I could tell, but I, I just won't because that's not the topic today. The topic is what the hell is a Western, essentially, is the topic. Uh, and Travis Mills is a filmmaker, a director. Uh, for the uninitiated, he had uh, been on the show about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, Something like that. And uh, we talked about... Uh, his project at the time, which was 12 Westerns in 12 months, 12 most excellent films. Yes. And um, I mean, how you got through those or were able to get them done and uh, out is beyond me. But, you know, congratulations on that. Thank you. I barely survived. The constitution so, um, of an ox. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild, as yeah. we talked about last time. And people should definitely go back and listen to that one if they haven't. Yeah, yeah, no, I spent... Uh, better part of this week going back and just looking at because you've got a lot of scenes posted mm-hmm. and with my hearing i couldn't hear i couldn't hear them so it's just the visual mm-hmm. and that was so because i like i like the visual that if you don't if you don't tell the story visually you don't tell the story right but uh, the one that really tickled me is the one that the colonial one with all the pregnant ladies okay the wilderness road yeah, yeah. and but what is so cool the scene there with the young guy who was just and he did a marvelous job. It's just in shock and awe. But they finished the scene with everybody reaching for the AIDS. Mm-hmm. And I think mean, it's a, a symbolism. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just it blew me away. I loved it. Yeah, that was a fun one. They were all they were all a challenge. They're not all created equally. You know, when you make twelve films in a year, they're not yeah. going to all come out yeah. as well as you know. But I'm proud well, no, of the sh- achievement. Sh- they shouldn't come out uh, uh, the same either, should they? No, they no. shouldn't. Yeah, shouldn't. there's always going to be you, and you could people. You know, if I had taken twelve years to do it, yeah. it would have been the same thing. They all wouldn't have been created. How did equally. that concept come up? Twelve westerns in, in twelve months. I was just crazy. You know, in 2013, I'd finished 52 short films in 52 weeks, and I thought, what's the next one it's uh-huh. got to be 12 features and oh 12 features doesn't sound hard but if they were westerns <laughs> no that would be hard seven features in seven days no i'm done with the the quantity game oh good that's not that's that's over yeah. Yeah, i want i want to say i want my dvd library isn't big enough to contain them all uh, <laughs> i want to get i want to give you a comparison because I've, I've been rereading uh, john mcbride's john ford book mm-hmm. the next book is his big fat thing watch out but I'm going through there, and I'm looking at the early four, and it's just prolific, prolific. Oh, yeah. And 12 and 12, I, I said, I'm just, I just, I went to, just pick the year I went, 1919. He did 15 in 19. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarity, I, I feel, in what you do, because, you know, it's it's not assembly line. There's nothing right. assembly about it. It doesn't look it. Right. Well, that's where I kind of got the idea is that I read that John Ford was when he was working for the studio, he would get thrown a script on his doorstep every Monday, mm-hmm. and sometimes he wouldn't have enough time to read the script before he got to set, which yeah. is why one time he was filming a scene, and he told this guy he's, she was he was kissing this girl on the scene, and he said, kiss her like you'll ever. What the hell are you doing? And then the guy said, I'm playing her father, sir. Right? <laughs> and he's like, well, I didn't, I didn't know because I hadn't read the script, you know? So, um, but, you know, he basically, we wonder... You know, I've been watching early Fords too, mm-hmm. and you know, you watch early Ford before Stagecoach, yeah. and some of them you you can see the master forming, yeah. but you can also see it's like, hey man, he made a hell of a lot of movies before he made the ones that he's known for, you know, and there's a reason he was able to make something like Stagecoach with so much assurance. Well, he mm-hmm. and Harry Carey uh, working together with, and so many of those silence. Oh yeah, I mean, wow, you yeah, know? I well, mean, it was incredible. incredible. You did Harry Carey, then Buck Jones, then Tom Mix, and, and you hit Gibson, and these are assembly line. But you know, a lot of a folks, a lot of they don't know or they forget the fact that a lot of times these guys were writing their own scripts, or yeah. they were producing their own episodes. Yep. Well, and they were thinking on their feet too, because yeah. a lot of times they, they would take a script and, and they would they would improve upon it mm-hmm. as, as they were doing it. Howard Hawks was rewriting scenes all the time, yeah. you know. And be, people, one of the biggest problems, you know, we're going to talk about not just what makes a western, but at least you guys emailed me. Why has the western changed? Yeah. One of the reasons I think is most people making westerns nowadays don't study them. Now, their version of study them is being in love with the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And 
Tombstone and Silverado, and that's about the extent of their film education. I see. Like my mentor says, their film education starts with Star Wars, right? Yeah. Okay. They don't have an appetite to go back and watch those other things, and that's really where you learn what the genre is all about, mm-hmm. is watching those films, and, and then you come to something like The Tall T, but Bedeker, and to mm-hmm. me, you see, oh, that's what the Western is. Right. It's This is it in its simplest form, for me at least. In your view, let's expand on that. In your view, what what makes up a Western? Well, I think the biggest thing is that it's, I think it's thematic, not not aesthetic, yes. right? That's the biggest, you know, people get all hung up on the wardrobe and the horses and the shootouts and the, even the history, when really it, what it's mostly about is, is justice, the question of, of what is just mm-hmm. moral codes, um, you know. In in the tall T, you've got Randolph Scott, a good man. He's got his code. You've got Richard Boone, a right. bad man. He's got his code. It's right. the conflict of codes. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they're not that different than each other. Kind of like in Heat, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro mm-hmm. are not that different mm-hmm. than each other, even though they're on other sides of the law. In some ways, that's like a modern western. Because of the, what it's playing with, the theme. So I think that what we've lost is the them, thematic uh, understanding of the genre. You know, you, I, you, I, I agree 100 percent because to me, it's about character, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I've noticed. You know, because all, all of a sudden they're starting to run some of the uh, low-budget, independent, non-union westerns on on TV, and I'm looking at it and, uh, and I'm going, "What's wrong with?" It? Because I mean, some. Well, there's no sense of time or place. There's no, there's no connection. You know, you, you you can see the people standing there waiting for their cue. Mm-hmm. And you, not, what's worse though is you can feel it. Yeah. And and again, you know, communication is not about miscommunication. It's about clarity and getting across what you want people to see. And it can be done with it. It can be done with a scarf, with something you say. Uh, physical motion. There's just so many aspects that get lost because they get, you know, one of the things that I've, I've found, I noticed that's hurting a lot of these is their sound quality. Mm. They sound, they don't clean their sound up, so it's got this tinny in a barrel sound. Yeah, well, that's something that I've struggled with because getting good yeah. sound on a independent film is very difficult, and it's not something that. It's something people take for granted. I started not taking it for granted, especially when I had to record my own sound. Mm -hmm. I would actually be the director and boom operator on films like Counting Bullets. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot in that process because when you do it yourself, you just have to learn. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, And the importance of it. So we've improved over time, but you're absolutely right. That that does distinguish. And I would say that you you can watch a movie with bad cinematography but good sound if it has a good story and good sound it's watchable yeah if it has a good story good cinematography and bad sound it's not watchable necessarily you know i'll give you another oddity because my hearing is bad a lot of times uh i don't i don't watch a lot of stuff anymore but sometimes i'll stop and watch a movie but it's generally on the mexican channel with language i don't understand and so being able to hear it isn't that important other than mm-hmm. getting uh, the emotional inflection in the voice and I guarantee, I, guarantee, I recommend this to anybody that, that wants to understand film better is to sit down and watch something either with the sound off or in another language that they don't understand yeah well great films I think um, obviously are better with the sound yes but can be understood without it yeah. like all of the Ford movies could be understood without it if you watch stage coach with the sound yeah. off you could know what's going on because of the gestures and the body language and that's another thing that's been lost and I'm actually working on an article about the things that I, I look for in actors but don't often find Again, it goes back to the whole thing. They don't study the past. They're not looking at, at, at all of these mm-hmm. actors of the past, whether it be Wayne, Bogart, Brando. They're not studying the, the craft because those people, body language was so important. Yes. They communicated so much with just how they held themselves, how they moved. You don't see that in many modern performances, no. even on the big level, even on the, the, la- the, last the, the se- Hollywood last, level. Last scene of... Um, 
of the searchers where john wayne pays homage to harry carey oh yeah with, with exactly yeah yeah well everything well, he and, does in that movie all, only ahead, to talk to your point there uh travis is uh, you know, Brando was accused, you know, the critics always made fun of him that he mumbled through the entire every film he ever made. But you understood him because you got his facial expression, his body language, and the inflection of the tone of his voice. Exactly. Well, and, and uh, to me, you know, I'm not, some Western fans don't like it, but I actually think One Eye Jacks is a really, really good oh, Western. I love that film. Yeah. I and it, it shows how well he understood the genre and film. He directed it, and he directed, you know, not only is his performance great in it, but clearly he understood the genre because he's got Slim Pickens, Timothy Carey, ben Carl Johnson. Malden. He's, he's Ben Johnson. He's he's using all of the people the way that they're used best in Westerns. Their classic, their classic ways. Yeah. yeah. And, and only to speak to that film as well, another one that he mumbles even maybe worse in is Appaloosa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Appaloosa with John Saxon, yeah, uh, which is tremendous. Yeah, I've yeah, always I, loved that film. For me, it's not as good as One Eye Jacks. One Eye Jacks no. is almost on another level. It is, um, and maybe a little bit ahead of its time in terms of predicting where the western would go. Um, but he was an incredible actor, and people people admire him, but they don't study yeah. him. And that's the thing is, you got to study the genre mm. to work in it. You got to immerse yourself. One of my cinematographers, the guy that shot Counting Bullets said, what films do you want to kind of be inspired by? I said, all I want you to do is watch Westerns and fall in love with them. Mm-hmm. That's well, really that, what you got to do. That's, <laughs> that's, not, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like, I guess it's one of the topics I've got on the list here, which is landmarks and uh, what is crossroads and landmarks. And, you know, you look at a movie comes along like Stagecoach. Mm-hmm. It changes the genre. Uh, Fistful of Dollars changes the genre certain movies some uh, there has been a couple that have changed it to the bad because they've got people off you know it's like uh tombstone is a terrific movie but it cursed us with one thing everything since then everybody looks like the dirts. they've all got the frock <laughs> coats on and i i don't care if it's a big budget or one of the non-union low budget it they it's just like, okay, this is the only coat we've got. We've got to use it for all the movies. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, that's what happens is, you know, I think that was the film that started the real trend of quoting the Bible in Westerns, mm-hmm. which yeah. is something that yeah. I, I told John Mars recently. I said, you can hold me to this. None of my scripts will have a character, good or bad, who quotes the Bible. Because we just made this film, Terror on the Prairie. Yeah. And the bad guy quotes the Bible the whole movie. And I'm just going, <laughs> You know, it's like, this is so cliche now. When Let's step away gimmick, from yeah, this. Yeah, 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 you know. And Tombstone did it right. And it's like, well, don't you know, that doesn't mean you have to copy it. Right. You know? Now, right, speaking we, of Terror we, on the Prairie. Oh, you want to go your break? Yeah, I want to do our, break. our break first. And then we can speak more about Terror on the Prairie. We're talking with uh, filmmaker Travis Mills here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. We'll be back with much more after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. What's this about, Billy? I'm really anxious to get a hold of him, Ma. Why? He murdered Rusty Bradford a little while ago. Fiddlesticks. Billy Carson never murdered anybody. Has the sheriff been notified? Oh, that would take too much time and give Carson the chance to get away. But we have our men scouring the valley. Kind of taking things into your own hands, aren't you? No, just enforcing the law. This is the Voices of the West. Williams, don't, don't waste your worries on me. Oh, we're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker de France and Todd Roberts with you. Our guest is Travis Mills, filmmaker, and we are talking about westerns. What the devil is a western? And uh, oh, Stittlefix. Yeah, Stittlefix is right. Uh, we were talking about the latest movie that you worked on. Uh, you were, uh, Terror, on the Prairie. Terror on the Prairie. Yep. You know, I spent 30 years falling on my head. <laughs> and I was wa- you still and trying I, to get up? And I and I, I one of the clips I watched was you falling on your head in the yeah. jerk off. And you know I, I've got this bad habit when I see stunts and, every, and when I when I see it and I know that it didn't go exactly. I go ouch. Mm. That was an ouch moment for me. Believe it or not, it didn't hurt that bad. Well, but but I'm gonna tell you something because when you look at it, you know because it's all about physics. Yeah. And you hit on your neck. If it, if it rigged you a little bit higher, you'd have landed on your head. It should have rigged you a little lower so that your body would be in. I know you tucked your chin, otherwise you would have really run your chance. The nice thing is I landed kind of on my shoulders. Yeah. It looks like my neck, but it was my shoulders. And I actually, it didn't hurt that bad. Well, it goes right. It's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, my favorite game when I was a kid was that I would run down the hallway and my dad would throw a big beach ball at me and I, it hit me and then I'd fall over. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, this explains everything. Basically, <laughs> I was born to fall. Yeah. Right, you know, and, 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 and I, I love doing that in film. So That's it was a great opportunity. That's the story of my youth. When I was in the Navy waiting for discharge in the Pearl Harbor and the barracks, and there was a guy there, and every night just before lights out, we'd fake a fight. Because mm. the guys were going through, so there'd always be a group, bunch of new guys in there. Uh-huh. And about three minutes before lights out, and we'd be all going over tables and knocking chairs down, and everybody's freaking out, and then the lights would go out. Nice. I love <laughs> it. Yeah, it was great to do some real stunts on that film with the stunt coordinator. It I mean, good. And I, I didn't come onto the project as a stunt, stunt yeah. person, but I said... Yeah, I was. I did a lot of things on it, but they, the opportunity came up, and I said, "I'll do it." That was a, uh, a rather interesting film. Gina G- Gina Carrillo Carano mm-hmm. uh, was a Disney actress. Got booted from Disney because they didn't like her political views. Uh, the Daily Wire, a conservative uh, website, Ben Shapiro and his group picked it up, picked her up, and uh, they made a movie. Shapiro and, is quite a guy. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> It's, I haven't seen it yet, but everything I've read about it is like, holy mackerel, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's got, because you guys know Westerns, I can reference these things. It's It's got, it's like part Will Penny, mm. and then it's I got some it. it's got some Will Penny elements, and then it's got some, the director really likes Spaghetti Westerns, which I don't, but yeah. he's a huge Sergio Leone fan. 
So there's some of that in there. There's some of the producer had made Bone Tomahawk, mm-hmm. which I love. Oh, yeah. So it's got some of that. It's got that brutality in there. Mm-hmm. So it's got a kind of a mix of a bunch of things. And and I think, you know, there's not a whole lot of good westerns coming out these days. I think this is a it's it's a good western. It may not be one that changes the genre, but it's a good solid western. Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, all westerns don't have to be a classic. Correct. They just have to be good and entertaining. Oh yeah. You know. That was the thing back in the day, is the guys that were making westerns were just good at, at making a solid film, right? You know, like the, the people that were working with Randolph Scott, whether it was Bedeker or Andre de Toth or, or whoever, they were just churning out really solid entries in the genre. And, you know, another element, too, which you, when you made me think of it, was that your cinematographer, you know, with John Ford, the land is as big a character as anybody in it. He's, yeah. In fact, it's bigger than anybody in mm-hmm. it. And Bone Tomahawk. Yep. And the ones that are coming out now that are, well, it's like Yellowstone. What makes Yellowstone, more than anything else, it is just the way it's shot. Right. It, just, it's, it's, it, looks, it looks like the big country on TV. To me, the difference between the way that Ford uses the land and a lot of those old school guys used it and the way that the modern guys use it is that Ford used the land to say something. Mm-hmm. It's like when he introduces John Wayne and Stagecoach, the way he shoots him mm-hmm. with a long lens, he's as big as the mountains in yep. the background. He's telling us yeah. this guy is one of the mountains, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Where did Ford learn this kind of thing? Is it just something that stuck in his mind? Or? He studied art. Well, okay. Uh, and he, he, was, uh, right. he was obsessed. He wanted to be an artist at one time. So, yeah, all right. So you look at the big canvas in, in that aspect. But, I mean, the things that... Don't went- forget that he also, he studied Griffith, mm-hmm. who well, was the okay. inventor of all of it. Yeah, oh, he still is to this day. Yeah. Okay. And I hate to break it to the woke crowd, but uh, <laughs> every time you make a movie, you're ripping off uh, D.W. Griffith, who you hate so much. Right. Yeah, but exactly. he invented all that. He invented the wide shot. He invented the close-up. He invented the pullback. He invented the horizon and the lower shot. And that all, he saw that. He, My God, he's an extra in... Birth of a Nation. He's one of the. He, he's on a horse, riding a horse, and he's in one of the battle Klansmen. scenes. You didn't want to yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so many guys got their start in Birth of a Nation. Uh, uh, perennial bad guy Charlie King. He was a teenager, and uh, he was in Birth of a Nation. That was his. So did Michael Curtis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you know so that's did where I. he. Yeah. That's one of the places he got it. Um, but you're right. He uses it as a character. Yeah. And that's why the that's why it the, the that background is so beautiful, and that's why he kept going back to it because it was a character, or should I say, a leading lady that never uh, talked back to him. Well, you know, I want one thing I want to kind of point out though about Griffith, and we and we talk all the time about how he invented everything. What he actually did was he looked at what everybody else was doing and saw the different things that they were doing, and he coesed them all together in one unit. And that was his genius there. Yeah, he wrote he wrote the book on film grammar. Yeah. He put it all in one film, and and it was de- a defining film, obviously a controversial film for for right for you know true reasons. But you can't right. ignore it. You yeah, can't ignore right. film history. You can't history. ignore the history of America. Well, and, you know, yeah. I, I've said many times if you don't like if you don't want to watch uh, Birth of a Nation because it's uncomfortable subject matter, go watch Intolerance. Exactly, which is a much more tolerant film. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. well, the 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 movie you guys did. Uh, uh, the Pleasant Valley War. I like the way you guys pulled that off using the actors to enter. Basically, they were interviewing themselves and setting up the shots and, and whatnot. That was a great. Uh, I like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Here's a, this, that's interesting because you know a film that you ca- cast, Tombstone Rashomon, which I love, even with the troll car coming down the street. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I met Alex a couple of times. He, right. did, he did some stuff down here at the loft, and I. I could steal a minute or two to talk to him. Uh, but that is, I think, and I've seen a ton of ton of Tombstone OK Corral movies, grew up reading the stuff. I think that comes as close as anything that's ever been done to tell the story of Tombstone. 
Yeah, well, he wanted to be more accurate to the story and also explore the different perspectives. And I definitely hung on to that when thinking about the Pleasant Valley War. I did it a little differently than him because the actors are... They're even they might be in costume, but they're they're John Mars is John Mars. He's yeah, not yeah. Ed Tewksbury. Right. And the way that Alex did it was that Doc Holliday was in character as Doc Holliday reading. That guy was and that brilliant. Was, oh, he was great. Eric Schumacher. He's the a best Tucson holiday. local as far as I know, he's still here. Definitely yeah, he one is. of the better actors I've I've ever worked with. Yeah. Um, that was a crazy film. We shot it in old Tucson in six days. Yeah. Um, quite a production. But it was great working with that team, and I definitely learned a lot and took that to the 12 Westerns. But, yeah, I think that, you know, one of the reasons I was able to think of that style for Pleasant Valley War is, again, going back, you've got to know your films. You've got to know film history because it's like a tool belt. You know what you can use when a problem comes up. You say, "Well, this filmmaker yeah. did this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal from them, and and do that." And and the, you know, people don't have the knowledge to really know what to do in situations. There must be so many ideas swinging around in your head that. Well, that's why I hate. <laughs> How it do they people, get out? <laughs> yeah, that's why I hate it when people come to me and say, I got an idea for a movie. I'm like, really? I'm going to die. I'm going to die with a hundred ideas for movies. So Travis, let me ask you a question as we're, as you're pursuing that line of thought, is it more important for you as a filmmaker, as a constructor of film to find empathy in your lead character? Or is it more important to, find the evil in the bad guy. If you can only choose one, you only get to make one choice on a, not every film, but certain films. Don't do it, Travis. Empathy. Go ahead, Travis. You're a big boy. You're, you're a brave more, man. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, not going to choose your two options. It's more important to find empathy in the bad guy. Yeah. Okay. That's harder. Yeah. And that's what makes a great Western. All the, all of, I can't think of a single great Western where the bad guy isn't relatable mm-hmm. meaning well, that jack balance oh yeah yeah no. yeah it, but like you know you look at again the tall t richard boone mm. probably one of the best western villains and, and one in of Om- the best villains yeah. oh yeah in ombre he might be evil but he's funny as hell yeah. and we get why he's doing what he's doing and he's logical you know and I think the bad guys in Tombstone are the same way. I think, but then you get into the um, maybe the spaghetti westerns, and they don't make as much sense. They're cartoon characters. They're, they're yeah, they're Not they're two dimensional, two dimensional. Mm-hmm. And a lot of nowadays, a lot of the bad guys are like that too. To me, I, I have a rule: if a bad guy says he's going to do something in a western. He has to stick to it. Mm-hmm. If he says he's not going to kill a woman, he's got to stick to that or pay the consequences if right. he does. Or so. die in the effort. There yes. you go. All right. Yes. We're talking with uh, filmmaker Travis Mills on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. we got to do our next commercial break. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts, we'll be back. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job little lady up the road a piece won't strike a deal with you about water rights you out there come one step near and old best here'll spit right in your eye so you need to strike your own deal but you need the right henchman to do the job the stage is hauling a wells fargo box loaded with gold you've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold but like henchmen to pull off the job what to do you better start packing a handgun Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scruffy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I've joined Red a Hench, 
I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head hinches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hinch without the proper hinches around you. And that's just a gentle hinch. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, Get a Renahance to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Renahance, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. I never shot nobody. I didn't have to. This is the Voices of the West. Abel Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, tapping out the tune to the uh, high chaparral. Yeah, at the table. Playing <laughs> my on. Uh, where am I here? Todd Robertson, Los Angeles. Our guest is uh, filmmaker Travis Mills, and uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of what comprises or makes up a western. And I think we're getting there. Um, Are we? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. But I, I'm going to tell you, I, I am a huge fan of B westerns. Love them. And there, there, there are very few B westerns that I will not watch. Uh, I have 543 westerns on my watch list, and that's the ones he's watched with his wife, yeah. not the ones he's watched alone. Yeah, and so I know that list is upwards of 650 easily, wow. and they're all Bs, but for the most part, 97 percent of them are Bs. Okay, um, what is it about that B? movie that strikes to the heart of me versus something like and I can't even oh uh, Johnny Guitar because <laughs> I can't stand that movie but Todd and Bunker love it oh I don't well, I'm, I'm with you man I don't love Johnny Guitar <laughs> I admire it but I do not like it uh, well, uh, it's I, I all have... Mercedes Cambridge it's all Mercedes it's all in her character she is as evil and filled with hate as any other character I can ever think of in movies Mercedes and you keep asking yourself what is why do you hate this woman so much I you don't. barely know her I don't because I don't watch it <laughs> Well, you know, I love the movie. But okay, have, Carrie, your bottle of rum is going away movie. for Christmas, oh, so you're in you. trouble. <laughs> that one complaint about that movie that bugs me is she's got Max Factor lipstick on <laughs> that just leaps off the screen. I like the movie. But, I like the, play, the interplay between... Uh, uh, Bucker, you're forgetting that it's Joan Crawford. She got to do whatever she wanted. Yeah, right. right. But we're getting away from the main premise. Yes. What, the, the bees were almost formula uh, in, their, in their making. They were. And, and so 100%. what is it but, that, that... Why can't I like New Westerns as well as I like bees? Well, the thing about you're the bees... That's that's what, we got to remember oh, that... When you were making a B picture in the old studio days, you had more control yeah. as a director because you had less oversight. Mm-hmm. These guys that were making the B pictures could really play around with more, in my opinion. They might have had a formula script, but they could do more, you know, because there wasn't someone looking over their shoulders like the A pictures. And that's why they're more interesting, and that's why they stand the test of time. So that that's my answer for that. Well, well, and that's so they what, had more freedom. Yeah, they had more freedom, and I think that's what the independent Western could be mm-hmm. nowadays. But for the reasons we've already mentioned, and I won't repeat myself, it isn't, and that's so, the tragedy. So, so here, it's go ahead. Oh, uh, here's here's part of the dynamics of the old B westerns. Is one they did them in series, generally six or seven in a series, and they had a budget, and that budget was for all six of them. Well, invariably, they wanted the first one to be really good, so they would put more money in it. By the time they got to number six, uh, they were scraping and maybe using a lot of lot of scenes from other movies. But the other thing is people forget is back on the set in those days, as much autonomy as the director had, the first assistant director had this one thing. 
he would go up to the director and he'd go, okay, we need to be over on the other set. He was speaking for the producer. And that meant wherever you were at that point, you moved to the other set. And so the directors working with that in the back of their mind, they knew how to economize time oh, yeah. and, and uh, effort and everything and, pre, and pre-plan. Oh yeah, they were well, they were they were true craftsmen, they, yeah. and they, and they were like you said, they were economical with the way they told stories and the way they shot things, and and that's you know they had to work within a framework. Nowadays, after the studio system ended, all of that got blown apart, yep. and almost the excess of freedom has kind of ruined things because I think working within the studio system, having to find ways to skirt around the rules, really bred a lot of great work, and now scarcity it's just created like, uh, creativity. Oh yeah. And oh, here's, yeah. here's the other element too. Back when you had the old studio system, you had all the departments. So the director knew the department heads and all the props, uh, set dressing, all that stuff. He would go to and they had their shorthand. They say, uh, "Charlie, I'm doing I'm doing a South Dakota thing." He knew he he knew or he knew his work. He knew what he knew it. Look at a guy like Bill Whitney. Yeah, the master of action westerns. And he would, you know, his universe, I mean, Republic relied on him for all of their t- top action actors because they knew he could stage action and do it in economically, time-wise, and, and financially. Well, and, and the studios understood casting. They, yeah. don't, they don't nowadays, and neither do most producers, because type is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of actors that, you know, um, it, hopefully some of the ones that I work with are listening to this. Yeah. Having a type is a good thing. Yes. Example, I can't play the hero. I can't play the John Wayne role. I could do it out of ego, but yeah. I'm not that type. I can play the bad guy, as people have seen me in the 12 Westerns, and I can play the goofball, the clown. So I'm either the villain or the clown. You know, John Mars... Or a corny villain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's next. Um, but yeah, yeah. But you know... They understood that back in the day. You know, Peter Lorre was going to play, play a certain kind of oh, character. Oh, yes, I love Peter Lorre. <laughs> yeah, but you mentioned John so Mars. John, John can be a bad guy, or he can be he can be a judge. Yes, exactly. Well, he yeah. can play kind of the older advisor role, yeah. but he still has enough kind of presence to play yeah. an older action hero, like a Sergeant mm-hmm. Whitlock or mm-hmm. something like that. Yes, you know? Yeah, and, and, and you got to know your type, and certain people, they're the bartenders. They're the comic relief or whatever. And really, back in those days, I think people understood that and, and were was, super happy to, to play that type over and, and over and over contra- again. A contract system. You know, it's like yeah. you see John, uh, John Carradine, and he could he could play some of the vilest people, but when he wasn't playing them, he was playing a sympathetic person. He mm-hmm. wasn't playing the lead. He right. was playing. You know, it's like uh, no, his character uh, in uh, Grapes of Wrath. That's yeah. what is, I was just going to say. Is somebody that is yep. you feel so much you, you he breaks your heart. Yep. Well, and Walter Brennan could dance between yes. the two. He yep. could be evil, yes. like in Mar- My Darling Clementine, or he could be Stumpy. Mm-hmm. In well, Real and Bible. the store owner in Sergeant, not Sergeant Rutledge, uh, Alvin York, Sergeant York. Sergeant York, yeah. But who he was helps, a... helps him along. So, Travis, i got to ask you a question. You have a time machine. You get to go back anywhere you want in time. And you get to make a movie with whoever you want. Mm. Who is it? Yesterday. And what is, uh, obviously, it's a Western. <laughs> right. But who is it? What is it? it? Male or female, doesn't matter. Hero, evil villain, uh, 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 bit guy, whatever. Obviously, it's super tough to decide, but I would pick William Holden because I always loved the way mm. that William Holden played consistently played these cynics in movies Uh, who turned around at the end and did something heroic. You see it in Bridge Over River Kwai. You see it in Stalag 17. He's always the the person who's skeptical about humanity, who's cynical, and then at the end, he's the one that that somehow does something very moral. His first Western with Glenn Ford, where they're good buddies and he's bad. Yeah. Which which film is that? Remind me. I'm trying to... Uh, it's a post-Civil War film. Yeah, it's post-Civil War. They, they've just come back from the war. Uh, yeah. They've got the great boxing sequence. They've got the cabinet. Yeah. Big Boy Williams is in it. 
The so, one I love so, with so, him so, like, is uh, Texas Rangers. I think that was the one where he made it. Yeah, Rachel and the Stranger is one I watched recently yeah. with him, which which is quite. But he did some he did some great westerns. Obviously, the, the Wild Bunch comes to mind, which mm-hmm. which is great. But yeah, I would love to work with Bill well, Holden. I Wild think he just Rovers had. I worked on. Oh my and gosh! I got, I got to sit next to him. When we were wow! Doing the breakfast That's scene. such a great film. And this guy he, he blew me away because we're doing a shot when they were out riding shots, and I I used to chew back then. And I pulled out a plug, and I says, what? Let me chew that. And I said, well, I don't know if you like it or not. It's Bull of the Woods. He goes, Bull of the Woods? I haven't had that in years. And then he started telling me about being a kid up in Nevada working on a ranch. I love it. Yeah, that's the, those are the moments to me that always made everything special. So, Travis, you mentioned something a bit ago about uh, uh, character actors and such. And I maintain that that's where we don't see character actors in movies anymore. You know, the, the stable of character actors. Uh, you knew that uh, in a B that you might find, you probably were going to find Charlie King as your heavy, as your henchman. You're going to find uh, uh, Tom London in there. You're going to find William Cassidy or Ed Cassidy in there. Um, you're going to find Kenny Duncan in there as a henchman. I mean, you know, come on. We don't have those you kinds had, of... You had the same townsmen's, the same yeah, shirt. We, it, but, but it was the casting system, and all these guys were under contract to the studio, and the studio said, okay, this guy works good in this. You know, it's, 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 it's oh, okay, hey, we, we got so-and-so here. Let's put him in this over here. This is different. And the audience sits there, and they goes, I don't understand why he's doing that. Yeah, he's well, out of character. They had better instincts back then, and yeah. they knew where. It's like whenever I see some of these Hollywood stars working today, like Brad Pitt, for example, I'm like, he needs someone telling him what to do. He doesn't know what <laughs> films to pick. Like oh. you just see a misguided kind mm. of going his wrong way. I'm like, he really doesn't know what kind of movies he's good in. Um, Tom Cruise does back to Top Gun 2, which I actually want to talk about a little bit um, okay. in, okay. in a little bit. It. I think it relates to the discussion. But before that, you mentioned character actors. There are some, you know, someone like Willem Dafoe. Yeah. He's really a character actor. Yeah. The problem is because there's no studio system, they can't develop as much as they could okay. back in the day. I think okay. that's the problem. There's no system, so everything's scattershot. They're out there, William H. Macy, Willem Dafoe, people like that. But people don't know how to use them as well. Um, yeah, you see those those folks in the Cohen movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're they're actually one of they're a good example of someone Let's, who does know how to use it. Yeah. They use a stock company, kind yes. of the way That's that like Ford did. Yeah. Well, and you know how to use them, Travis, yeah, I, because yeah, you used Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah. No, I didn't use Tim Blake Nelson. Who are you confusing me with? <laughs> Um, I thought you worked with Tim Blake Nelson. My no, mistake. I wish. Old Henry was a pretty good one, by the way. I liked. But that. he's such a great character actor. Yeah, I would love that, to work that, with that, him. That know. movie, you know, people. I I frequently confuse that movie as one of yours. Old, Old Henry. Henry. Yeah. I, it was, you know, it, again, it wasn't a genre-changing western, but I think people gravitated so much to it because they're like, "Damn, it's a good story." Yeah, it is. You know, see, that's and it. That's, that's a why story. They, and that back so. This is why you you guys, when you emailed me, you said, why are films like this not being made anymore? Where have the heroes gone? So let's talk about Todd. It was funny you brought up Top Gun. Top Gun is breaking all the records because it has true heroes in it. Mm-hmm. It calls yes. back to a different time, a different style of filmmaking. The yes was prevalent in the 80s, but really all the films in the 80s were a riff on the films of the past as well. Mm-hmm. And this has real heroes that are flawed, that you can root for them. They're human, but yeah, it, 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 it grew up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it plays on all of those things. And, it, and, and Tom Cruise is one of the only ones that knows well, how to make a Hollywood movie. Anymore. Let me ask you this, because I haven't seen it, but I got the impression from, from uh, footage that I have seen that there's no uh, CGI in it. It's incredible. He's really figured out that doing things authentically makes a difference on screen. Like the last Mad Max thing. Yeah, the Mad Max thing, that made a difference. When you saw it, you could tell people were really doing it. With the Mission Impossibles, he's figured out that's the thing. And with this, I was reading, they really sent those actors up in those F-18s. And and when he flies through this canyon, it's really him flying through the canyon. He's taking the Gs, yeah. And it's incredible. And it... You know, you would say, oh, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. Yeah. You can see it in their faces. Mm-hmm. Well, this right. is one of my pet peeves in, in Westerns, especially now. It was, it, was, it was a prevalent back in the 30s, even into the silence, not so much. But it's 
horsemanship. Oh yeah. You know, you, you just because you can put a guy, you know, a guy says, "Oh, I ride." Yeah, I go down to I go down to the stables and ride for an hour every Saturday. It ain't the same as cowboy. And I can see the difference. I, you know, how many times do I say, he can't ride? You yeah. watch this, I say, he can't ride. Oh, yeah. I watched the still from uh, Young Guns. It was just the still before the movie came out. And I looked at it, and I said, none of those guys can ride. Oh, I yeah. saw the movie, and none of those guys could ride. <laughs> well, it's so funny. Today, you know, I'm planning to produce this Western series called Contention. That's the next big project. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to Jeff Don, this Academy Award winning makeup artist I worked with on Terror on the Prairie, trying to bring him on board that. And he's talking about, oh, keep in mind, we're going to have to have budget for the doubling and all the beards and all this stuff. And I go, hey, look, dude, there's not going to be nearly as much doubling on my film. You know why? When I cast someone who is on a horse, I cast the person who can ride and teach them how to act. I don't cast, I don't cast the actor and teach them how to ride because it never works out. Right. When I was out in California, they would have a large casting for something, you know, and they had the stunt guys. The stunt guys would go down and ride along with the extras. Yeah. A lot of times I think it was part of it was done just so they could see what they were going to do. But, you know, none of them ever failed because these guys said, what you do? But it was just like... It's amazing, and this is the old secret, too, of the old Hollywood. You had an actor who couldn't ride. You know, you didn't put him in shots. You might see him mounting up and dismounting. You doubled it. Yep. Because the minute you look at a rider, to me, I see somebody out there riding, and I don't care if it's Lawrence Gilbert. If he can't ride, I don't care how good his acting is, that's part of the acting, and he's not... He's not not delivery. All right, we got to do our final commercial break here on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Our guest, filmmaker Travis Mills. We're talking about westerns. What is it? Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. We'll be back. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. Imus Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tanker Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horses Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, 
Let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. We've got to get the judge and Jim Bannister out of this community or we're out of luck. The only place in the town is doing any business is the jail and most of my men are in it. This is the Voices of the West. Todd, we are adjourning to the saloon. Uh, welcome back to Emil Franzi's Voice of the West. No wonder you didn't invite me. I know. Harry <laughs> Alexander Bunker de France and Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest is Todd uh, Travis Mills, and we're talking about westerns. One of the things that's authentic that, honky tonk. It is. It is. I, I recorded it back in 1880. I believe you. Yep. Sure did. Uh, <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard using that rap gut to get it to hold. Sure the sound. as I'm sitting here, I recorded that anyway. Authenticity in westerns. Uh, we're talking about it at the break. Uh, that's that's pretty important in your westerns, isn't it? We've made it important to try to be as authentic as possible, as accurate as possible. Nowadays, the audience is a little bit smarter. We got the internet; people mm-hmm. can look things up, right? And and back in the old days, who cared that people were wearing uh, belt loops on their pants? They didn't yeah, care, right? right? Yeah, they nowadays, didn't even know. Yeah. nowadays people will call you out for that, and I kind of like you don't want to piss off your political base. I don't think you want to piss off your... Piss off off our base. (laughs) There you go. You don't want to piss off your your Western fan base. You want to try to do right by them. But I was having an argument about this on Facebook recently, and then you say, well, why is something that's totally historically inaccurate so good back in the day? My opinion is that it's accurate and authentic in a different way. Mm -hmm. It may not be historical, but these people really were horsemen. They really had lived it. They grew up on ranches. Whereas nowadays, you got someone, some LA actor showing up in flip flops. You know, he's never been on a horse in his yeah. life and he's going to play the marshal. It's like, what the heck? That's right. So that's the well, problem. Well, there's also one other thing, Travis, that you need to add to that, I think, which is the writing was better then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Writing is everything. I'm glad you brought that's that up. That's why we always talk about on this show that we love the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, the the gun belts are wrong, and this is wrong or that's wrong, but the story and the writing is Mm -hmm. so good, the dialogue is so good, you can't help but love it. Well, I think it, to me, you know, the worst, the the biggest flaw in my own work, and I think the only way you can get better is to look at what you've done and and try to improve on it. Those 12 Westerns I made, I'm very proud of them, but I think the, the writing is one of the weak elements, and for one reason, not enough focus on character. After Howard Hawks had a huge bomb with Land of the Pharaohs, he went he went on a like six year hiatus, I think something like that, and w- really asked himself what makes a movie. Came up with one answer: character, not plot. Then he made Rio Bravo, maybe his best film. He said plot doesn't matter. The story is almost irrelevant. It's all about the characters and their relationships. And I think. When you think back at the best westerns, it is all about the yes, the writing, but the writing is character based. It's all about how these people are relating to each other. But then he went ahead and made El Dorado, and then Rio Bravo. Right, a Rio Lobo. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was he was. I think after Rio Bravo, he really had nothing more to say. And that I, was the culmination of everything. And, and then I, everything after that was just a, mm-hmm. a rerun. And of somebody what he said. Done. We'll give you the money to make a movie. And it says, ah, okay, I'll just remake Let's just it. do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do it three times, and we'll all get paid. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. Your point about Land of the Pharaohs, if, you know, that had a great cast. Cast of thousands. It had Jack Hawkins. It mm-hmm. had Joan Collins. I mean, it should have been a hit, but it wasn't. And one of the reasons is because it lacked in, in the script. Yeah. As you said, it had Dewey Martin. And, you know, there were, it was a... a should on paper it looks like it should have been a great film, but it wasn't. Well, so, let's hit on this. Think about this too. How many films? Because we we know what what the end result was, Land of the Pharaohs, but the element of editing, especially after a director has finished the picture, it's been it's been the curse of Peckinpah, uh, Wells, other people that made films that you look at the films and you can almost see 
where their scene was cut, and you know he didn't cut it, that somebody back at the studio said, okay, that's running too long. You know? But you can almost, you know, it's like you can't make a good movie out of a bad script. You almost can't screw up a good script in a certain sense. Yeah, what I'm saying yeah. is even if it gets edited the wrong way, if the characters are good, then yeah. it can only be messed up so much. You because know? They, those films end up getting people that are cult. You know, yeah. they, it's like, I love Magnificent Ambersons. Mm-hmm. I actually like it better than Citizen Kane. But it's just because I like that family thing and the way the story was told. And you felt like you were growing with the family. It's yeah. just a beautiful story. So something you mentioned at the top of the program about um, you're looking at, when you look at your actors that you're casting, uh, you're looking for, run that by once more time. One yeah, more. well, I'm looking at a few different things, but one of them was, was people that understand that acting is more than just having, an, I, I guess, feelings about the character and an emotional history, you got to be aware of your body and stuff like that. I don't know if you guys have seen my Western, Heart of the Gun, but yes, I, 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 pl- I, I play a, um, a bad guy who yes. has his head scalped. He survived a scalping. That's a great make- makeup job. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> um, and then in Terror on the Prairie, I get scalped, so there's a fun little connection there. <laughs> but um, anyway, with Heart of the Gun, I, I told John Mars, this is like six months before he made the film, uh, and you guys can't see me right now, but I said, I think that Dolan, my character, holds his head this way. And this is, you know, mm-hmm. kind of he says everything like this. Almost like a Bruce Dern. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so what what I, and I think it kind of went over John's head a little bit what I was doing, but that was before I learned a single line. But the way I held my head actually told me how to say the lines, right? And and so all of that is character acting mm-hmm. and something that people don't don't realize these days. You know, that that strikes on a very important thing, I think. I studied with Victor French and one of the things that he kept stressing was the autonomic nervous system. When you tilt your head, you change the way you're thinking, you mm-hmm. change the way you're moving, and it becomes, and you'll, you'll see this in good actors, they, that their physiology isn't their normal physiology. It's the physiology of the person they're playing. Oh, yeah. And it's, the, it's a genuine physiology, not a put-on or make-believe physiology. Oh, yeah. You can change what you're communicating just by how you hold your shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're, you look more like Body a victim language. or whether, you know, you're, you're very proud. Marlon Brando wore the outfit for his military character in Reflections and Golden Eye to understand how this guy would operate because the uniform informed his delivery. It speaks to the character. Well, you know, yeah. that's a great example because like in the young lions, mm-hmm. when he walks out and walks out of I think Romy Schneider's after telling her about her husband dead, he slams the door open, not mm-hmm. shut. Right. He's so pissed <laughs> off. Yeah, you know, that's that's always the scene. You know, the guy runs, I'll show you how pissed off I am. I'm gonna slam the door shut. He slams the door open. And I just said that's more realistic because you're expressing your anger now in the moment not as an afterthought. Right. I agree. Next project uh, project you're working on now. I got lots of things. So I'm focused on writing because like Todd said, it's so important. I decided to go back to it. And all the scripts that I've written re- recently, I'm trying to focus on character, whether it's Contention, our Western series, or I've created this kind of Western Jack Reacher character named Blackbird. And I'm <laughs> writing some scripts based on Blackbird. He's a just merciless, mean guy oh, who goes through the West and kills a lot of bad people. But um, it's all character-based. And then on top of that, I think you guys will appreciate this. I'm working on a book called The Men Who Made Westerns. Cool. And it's about... Mm. I, I think there's a lot of people who made Westerns back in the day who don't get enough lip service. So there's... no, you know, As I'm going to say in my intro, this will not discuss Ford. Hawks. It won't even talk about Bedeker and Anthony Mann. Yeah. We're talking about Burt Kennedy. Yeah. We're talking about Andre de Toth, Gilmer Dave, yeah. you know, people like yeah. that. Even John Sturgis. He made yeah. Magnificent yeah. Seven, but yeah. no one talks about him as, as a Western filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. by the OK Corral. Oh, yeah. yeah. So many of them. Hour of the Gun well, is yeah. one of my favorites. Yep. You know. 
Yeah, both the films that were filmed in this area. Oh, yeah. So that's I, I'm working on that book, and hopefully it'll be out before the end of the year. Well, hopefully you'll include some of the actors and some... You know, it's it's like... Because I, I, lo- I love reading about I love reading about the editors, the mm. makeup guys, the prop guys. These are guys... You know, you, people are surprised at the contributions these guys make sometimes because they'll come up to the director and say, Hey, I've got this. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll, you'll look at it and you'll go... Yeah, and it cha- literally can change a scene. And the dialogue hasn't changed, the actors haven't changed, the wardrobe hasn't changed. There's just this mysterious orb that radiates a, a, some kind of newness or freshness to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, filmmaking process is a, is a collaboration of so many people, and you can never tell who came up with the idea. But all you can tell is that it was filtered through one person, most likely. Yeah. A director or a producer. Well, the auteur. And it was their job to say yes or no. And um, But, yeah, it's. I mean, I've seen that firsthand. Some of the best ideas on my films came from other people. It's the focus. you got to have one person has to have the focus. Everybody can feed to it, yep. but you need, you need that focus on it. Now, when uh, John Mars was with us uh, before we moved to the ranch here... Uh, <laughs> He, he indicated that you have the fastest growing beard in the West. <laughs> People joke about this all the time. And I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, Travis Mills came to this place, the White Stallion Ranch, clean shaven, <laughs> and he is now ready for a shave. <laughs> so John he's going right. to be getting a job over on the Lumberjack Timberline. So John was right. Right, so right now he's at the weed whacker stage. Yeah, right. Exactly. And by the time he leaves, it'll, it'll be. We're out of time. Travis, thank you so much it's for joining It's been so much us. fun. Thanks, guys. We, we appreciate this very much. Next time we get together, Phil Spangenberger here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 78, 79, Cowboy O's, 80. Oh. <laughs> so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 